You're listening to Docs Outside the Box, episode 14. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Darko. And look, don't worry. I know a lot of people have been wondering where the show has been. The last episode was well over a month ago. Don't worry, the show's not going anywhere. The show did not go on hiatus. But as you all know, I'm a trauma surgeon and sometimes I got to live within the box and I got to make that paper. I got to pay off loans. Hey, I got to do what we'd normally do to just kind of make things happen. So, um, you know, I've been busy. So, but I'm back and I've gotten emails, feedback, Twitter, uh, tweets from people who are saying, hey, is the show coming back? And obviously the show is not going anywhere and I'm back. So, you know, I just want to thank you all for the feedback, for the concern. Um, I really appreciate all of that stuff. And also just some of the um, inspirational messages that I've gotten um, via all different modes of social media about the show and what it does and how it makes people feel. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. But the good thing is, is that I have an amazing backlog of interviews that are waiting to be produced, waiting to be uploaded um, for you all to hear. I've also had some time to reflect on things like one, creating an actual schedule for the show. So I know I am averaging about two episodes a month, um, but I'm thinking about actually creating a schedule where, you know, maybe every Wednesday or every Sunday or whatever, what every Monday the show will come out. So that's something that's um, that I'm working on actively right now. Also, the website, if you've been to the website, the website needs um, some work and needs some some updating. I'm going to be working on improving that. I'm going to also be working on an ability for guests to leave a question um, for people who are interested to leave a question that I can answer on future Ask Dr. Darko shows. And then also I am um, considering getting some sponsors for the show. So um, got to pay the bills and um, it cost me a little bit more money than I anticipated to uh, put out each show. So I'm thinking about getting sponsorship for the show. If there are sponsors who are interested, hit me up. Um, so overall, look, the other things that we've done on this show is, um, silently we've passed 10,000 downloads, um, a lot earlier than, than this month and last month, but sometime in the month of August, September, we passed 10,000 downloads, which is something that when I first started the show, I did not think we'd even get to that point. You know, when the show first started, there was a lot of crickets and (laughs) to get to a point where we're past that point and we're moving towards 30,000, maybe even 50,000 is something that I just something I wasn't expecting. And it makes me feel good. And I really appreciate all of your support, each and every one of you all who have who have listened to the show, who have talked to other people who have subscribed and and shared the show. It really from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you all. Um, for doing that. So please keep the emails, the tweets, the Facebook messages um, coming. Also, the feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Google Play. Keep all of those reviews coming because I read them all. And trust me, I really do get inspired um, by each and every message. 
so some things, uh, other things that have happened <laughs> since the last time we've had the show is uh, we we have a new president elect. So um, I'm going to leave it to you. I'm going to leave it like that. Um, whatever your thoughts, whether you are, you know, for whatever the results of the election or against, you know, the results of the election, it is what it is. And um, that's something I just wanted to quickly bring up. So um, leave fire on my comments if you have any uh, <laughs> If you have any feedback on that, um, other things obviously were, um, for me, I, I grew up in Queens, um, in a town, a small part of Queens called Lefrak city right near Shea stadium. And, um, that's not too far from where, you know, some of the greatest rap hip hop heads grew up, um, like a tribe called quest. So tribe called quest dropped their new album. Um, it's called, we got it from here. Thank you for your service. And, I'm just playing that on repeat multiple, multiple times. And it, you know, when the albums, their major albums came out, I was in the Newark area and I just remember listening to this album and it just kind of brought me back to a time when I was on the bus, the 25, going from where I lived to taking the bus to to high school and, you know, just listening to true hip hop and just really being focused on lyrics and not too many hooks. And this is an amazing album. I'm not going to say it's as good as the ones that came out in the 90s, but it's still a, a classic. It's a headbanger. I love it. You guys should go out there and cop it. Uh, my top um, songs right now are obviously the space program, We the People. I'm feeling melatonin and um, I like kids a lot right now. So if you guys are feeling it right now, if you're not feeling it, you need to go get it. But if you're feeling it, tweet me, message me, let me know what are your top songs from the album, okay? You know, I've had some people text me and say, you, you have the weirdest transitions I do, but hey, I'm just going to go off it. But look, my, my, next guest, <laughs> my next guest is a podcasting veteran. If you haven't heard of my next guest, his name is Ryan Gray. If you haven't heard of him, you're literally living under a rock. He runs the very famous, popular website called the Med School Headquarters, which is a website that, according to him, quote unquote, takes relevant pre-med topics and creates a one-stop shop for you to quickly get the information you need. End quote. He's got a following of thousands, pre-med students, med students, and he is the host of not just one, not two, not three, but I think actually four podcasts. And all of these podcasts are actually focused on helping pre-med students make smart decisions during the application process to medical school. Besides the host of, of numerous podcasts, as well as running this website, he also is an author. His book is called The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview, which you can get right now on Amazon as a paperback as well as on Kindle. Um, but it's a compilation of over 50 interview questions and answers that pre-meds can use to crush their interviews. He even provides one-on-one coaching for pre-meds. Pretty impressive. So Dr. Gray did his undergrad at the University of Florida graduated from medical school in New York at the New York Medical College and did an internship at Tufts Medical Center. And from there, he became a flight surgeon, which um, for you all who are not familiar with, Dr. Ryan Gray and I, we're going to get into more of the depth and details of what exactly a flight surgeon is. Um, But he um, became a flight surgeon. So overall, what I want you to get from this interview are multiple things. One, I want you to get And I want you to learn his thoughts on the positives and negatives of being an entrepreneur. I also want you to really listen to why he stepped away from clinical medicine and decided to run the medical school headquarters full time. I also want you to get why he decided to write his book, The Pre-Med Playbook. Also, it's going to be very interesting to get his thoughts on self-publishing versus the traditional publishing route. And with all of 
that I told you that he does. He's he's got to have so many things going on. We're going to learn Ryan's best productivity life hack. And obviously, as always, we're going to learn why he's not just a doc. So without further ado, I introduce to you Dr. Ryan Gray. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I'm excited to introduce you to Ryan Gray, who is the creator, founder of Medical School Headquarters, as well as a whole host of podcasts, including the Pre-Med Years, which is a two-time Academy of Podcasters Award nominated podcast, as well as the MCAT podcast, as well as the old pre-meds podcast. You got a lot of podcasts, Ryan. I got, I got a lot of podcasts and more in the works. <laughs> as well as author of a uh, new author. Congratulations on the pre-med playbook guide to the medical school interview, which you can find on Amazon in a Kindle book uh, format. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. I've been looking forward to having you t- on the show for a while. So thank you so much for your time. I, I'm excited to be here. So before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, your very interesting career, what you're doing right now, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, Tell us where you're from, what school you went to, and so forth. I grew up right outside of Los Angeles, California, Redondo Beach, and lived there until I was about 12 or 13. And then a little thing known as the Rodney King riots happened. And what, what, what was that? Can you tell us what that was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, way back then. So you actually, you grew up in an area where riots were occurring? I was close enough to it that everything around us closed down and people were sent home. And yeah, it was, it was probably a five minute drive away from us where, where it was starting to get bad. Um, but we would sit on our roofs. I, I clearly remember sitting on our roofs and watching fires in downtown LA. Uh, it was that close. Oh, that's got to be pretty scary. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad. And so our parents were like, okay, let's go. Time to leave. Um, and, and I mean, I, I grew up as, as a, I'm a, I'm a pale redhead, uh, white, white kid. I grew up in, in a town where there's a lot of Hispanics, uh, a lot of African-Americans, a lot of Vietnamese. I, I grew up in a very culturally diverse area. But with that, obviously, Los Angeles um, still to this day has gang problems. And so I, I'm a kid going to medical, uh, me- medical school, going to middle school, aware of what clothes I'm wearing, what color clothes I'm wearing, what brands I'm wearing, because that's something we had to think about, which is it's not the best situation to be in. Um, and so I... <laughs> Don't be don't be rocking cross colors with like multiple colors. Yeah, like, yeah. Which set are you, Blue rep- and red? Are you representing? What are you talking and about? Now orange and green. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, um, and and BK Knights. I couldn't wear. Everybody wanted a pair of BK Knights, but but BK Knights stood for blood killers, and so you couldn't wear those. And yeah, it was it was pretty bad. So we we moved all the way across the country to Florida, <laughs> good old Tampa, Florida. Okay. And uh, yeah, I lived there. Went went to high school. Went to college at University of Florida for my undergrad years, knowing that that I was pre med. I, I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to cut people. And uh, and four years of medical or four years of undergrad, and didn't get into medical school my first time around. Had to reapply, like a, a similar story. Somebody I know. And uh, <laughs> we all go through yeah. it. Isn't it amazing how we all think we're the only person or the only people going through this situation? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's not unusual with, with an acceptance rate nowadays of 39% for all applicants. It's, it's more of the norm than the, uh, than the acceptance. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, so that's a little bit who I am, and uh, yeah, I'll let I'll let you ask some more questions. Sure. So you went to med school out where? University of Florida? I, I wish, man. I, I wish I got four more years of Florida Gator football. Uh, I okay. applied my first time, got an interview, didn't get accepted. And I think I, I'm pretty sure I applied my second time too and didn't even get an interview the second time. So <laughs> I must, must have screwed that one up. But uh, no, I went to New York Medical College, um, a private, Valhalla? private school in Valhalla, New York. Yep. Okay. All right. Viking town. Okay, and then from there, where did you do your residency at? I did not do a residency. Um, so I uh, went through the HPSP scholarship through the Air Force. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't really I don't remember my initial like, reasons for approaching the Air Force to pay for medical school, but uh, I, I know I did it the first time when I applied and didn't get in, and I did it the second time, and I got in, and I was accepted for the scholarship, and so... The Air Force was able to dictate what I did for a specialty or what I what I couldn't do for a specialty, really. And I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. That's really all I, I wanted to do. And they said, nope, we don't need you to be an orthopedic surgeon. And so I was told to apply for a one-year internship. And I did that and did a transitional internship through Tufts uh, up in Boston at Lemuel Shattuck Hospital which is an awesome, awesome hospital for all kinds of interesting reasons. It's an it's a indigent population. It's the Department of Corrections Hospital. So you get to see lots of cool stuff. So I'm sure you saw a lot of crazy pathology. Yeah, a lot of crazy pathology, a lot of crazy uh, ingested materials. <laughs> that they sent to me to take out. <laughs> yeah, razor blades and pencils and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. And then eventually you became a flight surgeon. Yeah, so after my internship, I reapplied again through the military to say, hey, I still want to be an orthopedic surgeon here. And they said, nope, we still don't need you to be one. Go be a flight surgeon, which is the general path for a, a general medical officer who is healthy enough that, to be a flight surgeon. So you have to be healthy enough to fly and, and be up in the airplanes and, and do all that fun stuff. So you have to meet some medical requirements. And at that point, I was, and so they... They made me a flight surgeon, and yeah, that was that was a good time. Now, you know, we have some medical students who listen as well as some pre-meds, so can you tell them or explain exactly what a flight surgeon does? Well, it's in the name, obviously. You, you operate on airplanes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but not really at all. <laughs> um, so you're, you're not a surgeon. It's just a really cool name from the old days where everybody in the military as a physician was called a surgeon. Uh. You are a, basically the way I explain it is you are a family practice doc for pilots, for navigators, loadmasters, anybody that's working on the planes or has any sort of, of interaction with aircraft and, and other special jobs in the military that they want a flight surgeon to be taken care of. It's, it's a much more personalized experience the the rapport that you have to build with the patients is completely different than normal patient physician relationship because as a as a as a pilot as somebody who's who's flying an airplane it's every time you go to the doctor your career is is in the balance and and 
any diagnosis, any bad diagnosis, any little diagnosis may may ground you for life or ground you for a little bit. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting career, and I actually loved it. I've I've always had a fascination with airplanes, um, and so when I went to my first duty station, I got my private pilot's license because it's the thing to do. And so I I love flying. I loved being a, a flight surgeon, and I thought I was going to make a career of it, but some other things happened and plans change. Can you speak more about that? What what happened? What life-changing event happened? <laughs> uh, a little lesion in my spinal cord at, at C2 and, and two other little lesions a little bit lower and, and, a, and a diagnosis of MS. So a, MS is one of those where you're diagnosed and immediately you are no longer allowed to go up in an airplane. Um, and it's, it's a stupid rule, um, especially for a flight surgeon where I'm not actually flying the aircraft. But um, it's a rule that they had. And, and so that ended my ability to go up and fly with the air crew, which in my mind is instrumental to being a flight surgeon. The Air Force didn't have a problem with me sticking around and, and working as a flight surgeon and not flying. Um, but I, I felt that I couldn't do my job as well and couldn't build the rapport with patients as well without flying. And there were some other things. That was the first thing that started me to get thinking about getting out of the Air Force. And then some other things happened. And I think I was just more open to leaving at that point where small little frustrations turned into big ones. And I was like, okay, it's time to go. So would you say you were kind of forced to think outside the box? Or was this something that you were, you know, particularly with the podcast? I know you started the podcast around the same time that you were a flight surgeon. So obviously you were doing things different than what most other people would do. But with this diagnosis at hand, were you kind of forced to make certain decisions that you really weren't considering before? I've always been an outside-the-box thinker. I've always been a creator, tinker, builder. And the podcast started two-plus years before my diagnosis. So I, I had been working on this side gig for a while, and and building that up and the decision to leave the air force was made easier because i had already thought outside the box so it didn't necessarily mm. force me to but it it helped me because i already had this established thing on the side audience listen carefully to what he's saying so when you when you created this podcast obviously it's it's extremely it's diametrically opposed to what you're doing as a flight surgeon, right? I mean, you're taking care of people at their sickest. Um, I'm sure it's very busy. What led you to create the podcast? And which one did you create first? So the pre-med years is my first one. It was initially called just the Medical School Headquarters podcast. It started because, well, because I wanted to make lots of money. I think that's the initial <laughs> the initial thing. I don't know why. I, I had this this thought that I could make this website that was something that was anti-student doctor network. And I'm sure most people know what that is. Uh, oh, yeah. Very competitive, very cutthroat, very cutthroat. negative oh, yeah. Yeah. form. And and so I said... Student doctor network yeah. mafia. You yeah. And I was like, you know what? I, if I could make this website that had real facts and, and real information on it and not just pre-meds helping other pre-meds from information that they learned from pre-meds... Um, I thought I would do the world a service and and put ads on there and make some money on the side and, and grow this huge 
uh, empire of of a website. And it started because I I had several young airmen come up to me and say, "Hey, Doctor Gray, I think I'm interested in being a physician." These are eighteen, nineteen year old kids that didn't go to college, straight out of high school, went into the military. And I I would sit down and talk to them for like an hour, hour and a half, and I realized I really liked talking about it. And I I had a pretty crappy pre-med advisor that told me not to apply to medical school because I was a white male. And so I, mm, I didn't u- really yeah, I didn't I didn't utilize utilize her for much more after that. But so so that's that's where the initial inspiration for the website came from. And so we started writing articles for it and when I say we I mean my wife as well. She's a neurologist and we were living apart at the time. I was stationed in Delaware. She was doing her neurology residency up in Boston. And so on train rides down or, or flights down, I would give her articles. I'd give her assignments to write and she would write them. And, and that, that's where it all started. And then the podcast started probably seven months later. How did it go when you first started the podcast? Any bumps in a row? <laughs> uh, was, it, uh, I, was it all smooth? Of course. It was perfect. Yeah. I, I had millions of listeners immediately. And no, um, I, I recorded three episodes and sat on them for a long time. I <laughs> didn't do anything with them. That sounds familiar. <laughs> that was me, actually. You know? Yeah. I, uh, I just wasn't happy with it. It, it didn't sound right. I, I, I was scared, obviously. It was obviously the driving factor, the biggest driving factor behind it all. And then I had a coach that was like, okay, what are you waiting for? Just do it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> mm, wait, hold on. You said you had a coach. Yep. Explain. Business coach. What does that mean? I hired I hired a business coach because I I am a person that I have lots of great ideas and I tend to do well acting on them on my own but I need a little kick in the pants sometimes and so I I I, I used to be a personal trainer and I, I went to undergrad my my degree was exercise physiology I I worked at a gym I I uh, managed trainers. And most of the clients that I worked with were healthy people that knew how to work out, but they used me as an accountability partner. And that's what my coach was for me, was I, I would, would be able to get on the phone with him at the time, and then it was a her later, two different coaches, and, and talk about what I'm struggling with and what, um, what I th- was thinking about doing. And then they would give me basically homework for the week and say, okay, these are the things that you need to accomplish. And it, would, it was easy for me to to move forward with that sort of structure. I haven't had I, I, I haven't had a coach in probably two years. Um, I, I've used other means of getting that accountability, um, but I, I think I need another one soon. You know, based on what I've seen online and in various other media, coaching, personal coaching, business coaching has exploded. Um, and as a matter of fact, I've had two coaches or uh, personal coaches for physicians on the show, episode three with Dr. Dre. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that one. Um, and then I just released episode 10 with uh, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. And um, it looks as though more and more doctors are considering coaches or, or um, someone from the outside to come and kind of guide their thoughts and mold their thoughts. Um, how, looking back now, did you think that accountability was very helpful? Do you think that you kind of could have done it by yourself? Speak more about that. I probably could have done it by myself, but I wouldn't be where I am if I would have gone alone. 
uh, it would have taken a lot longer and I would have made a lot more mistakes. If you just just sit back and think about the world in general and the perfect example are athletes. You look at world-class athletes, they have coaches. You don't have Michael Phelps who's this world-class swimmer. He doesn't go alone and swim in the pool. He has a coach that's helping him hone his skills and and get better at what he does it's it's not him alone the best hitters in baseball have coaches that are constantly tweaking their swings they're not doing it alone and so i i'm a firm believer that that everybody should be able to take input from an outside person whether that's a coach or a consultant or a colleague we we always think that we're doing everything to the to the best that that we can do it but there's a saying that i i like to use and i I can't think of it off the top of my head it goes it's something like are you doing it the best way possible or are you doing it the best way that you know how and there's a huge difference there and we get stuck Mm. in how we know how and we we oftentimes ignore the best way how now, speaking of coaching, so besides the three podcasts that you do, besides running the website, now besides being an author, congratulations on that again, you. Um, you also coach, right? Don't you coach individual pre-meds? I do, yeah. So I, I coach them through applications. I do uh, personal statement coaching and mock interview coaching, interview prep coaching, and that's been a blast. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing it one-on-one for a little over a year. Once I left the Air Force, I started doing it one-on-one. Before then, I, I had a group coaching website, that, uh, a membership site that I ran, but I was, uh, that I closed recently. It, it was successful because it had lots of students in it, but I never was able to put the time and effort into it that I wanted to because I was still working full-time and dealing with a toddler and, and lots of other things. Take us through your typical day, because obviously you have a lot of things going on. Obviously, father, husband, working on these websites. Take us through a typical day. What, what's it like when you wake up? Uh, so I wake up. I, I make sure the wife is ready to leave out of the house. I get her breakfast and lunch ready to go. Give her a kiss and a lunch bag yeah, give her the or a lunch box. Give, give her the brown bag and, and tell her to have a great day. And... Uh, <laughs> It depends. Right now, I'm in the middle of training for a half marathon. So this morning, I had to get up and run three and a half miles. What? Um, yeah, it's it's fun. <laughs> Not really. I'm trying to I'm trying to get ready to uh, some of my um, college buddies. They uh, asked me to to run an 800, but we're training to all break two minutes in the 800. So yeah, I'm trying to get in that. shape just like you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hamstring on the floor and. Achilles torn up. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so I do that. And then my my work day starts around nine. That's when I first have calls. And I actually just changed my schedule recently. I, I used to do three days a week of calls and interviews and then two days where I would work on projects and other stuff. And I would find that I, I never really had time to work on the big projects. And so... I, I changed my schedule and I, I changed it again and, and so I'm I'm still I'm tweaking my, my routine to try to fit in the amount of clients that I have but also work on the big projects like my next book and and videos and other things that I want to work on. 
But I right now on my call and interview days, like today, I have uh, I have my interview with you, and then I have four mock interviews with students, forty five minute mock interviews. So it's it's a lot of talking today. Now, what you do, obviously. Um, in terms of your influence on pre-meds and obviously you're helping so many pre-meds reach their dreams. You have a huge influence on them. I'd like you to contrast that with being a flight surgeon. And I'm going to ask you a hard question. If you could, if it was a perfect world, if you could continue your work as a, as a flight surgeon versus doing what you're doing now, be honest with me. Tell me, what would you do if you had the opportunity to choose it? I would do what I'm doing now. Without a doubt. I, I think the, I, I loved being a flight surgeon. I loved the relationships. Love the honesty. With, uh, with my colleagues. Um, I loved the patience. But the freedom of doing my own thing is amazing. And, and knowing that every day I get the choice of, of what I want to do. And what I choose to work on and choose to build, and and I, I think that that is unrivaled. You know, I think it's funny. I think a lot of people, at least from me, my perspective, but I'm sure a lot of physicians, one of the big attractions, obviously, besides doing something that's very noble, is you feel like you are autonomous, like you you have the ability to make decisions on patient care and do things that you know are based purely on your decision-making skills. You're not going to be influenced by anything other than what the what happens with the patient. But obviously, with the way how the current healthcare system is, it's, for the most part, not really that way, so to speak. Um, and it's amazing that more doctors don't consider doing things on their own, whether it be private practice, even though it's, it's pretty caustic to be in private practice, but just do other things, like thinking outside the box, like what you're doing. Because it seems like you're, you are really embracing kind of just being your own boss, being your own man, running your own business from the ground up, hanging a shingle, although not in a medical sense, but hanging a shingle uh, in the sense of helping students, you know, reach their dreams. You know, what I do or, and what other entrepreneurs do, not everybody is cut out for it. That's what makes it great. I think everything in this world, some people like, and, and some people don't. And my wife who works, uh, for for Kaiser, she she has a set schedule. Every day she knows she's seeing about 10 patients a day and she knows she has to be there at 8 o'clock and she leaves at 5 and she loves that schedule, that routine. She loves that structure. She looks at what I do and she's like, I, I couldn't do that. I, I wouldn't know what to do. I would I would struggle. I would, I would flounder in, in that situation. So just because... I like doing it doesn't mean that the the next person coming along and thinking, wow, I could do that too, it doesn't mean that they are cut out for it and, and will thrive in that situation. Now, since we're still on the topic of entrepreneurship, you know, in order to be an entrepreneur, for the most part, it's good to see some type of profit. So I'm going to ask you a hard question. Um, comparing how you were doing as a field surgeon, or excuse me, a flight surgeon to how you're doing now, can you compare and contrast um, I guess how well you're doing financially is it the same similar worse better um well I'm a year into it roughly and I I think this year I will make maybe two-thirds of what I made as a flight surgeon which for one year out I'll take as a huge win 
Um, I, I think eventually as a flight surgeon, as a flight surgeon, we're paid well. And you can go and look up, uh, it's, it's public knowledge what, a, what military members make. But I think I made maybe 125000 as a as a flight surgeon. And, and so I, I think this year I'll make two-thirds of that. And then next year, hopefully, I'll, I'll meet or exceed that. Right, so there's no limits on what you can do right now. The sky's the there limit. There are no basically. limits. Absolutely. Now, with the pre-med playbook, um, your book, which is the guide to the medical school interview, which you can get on Amazon right now, wh- why did you decide to write a book? How did you do it? Take us through that process. <laughs> uh, why did I decide? Because I'm crazy. Um, you know, a book, I think, is just a natural progression of, of getting your name out there, getting your information out there. Not everybody's going to listen to my podcast. Not everybody's going to read my book. Not everybody's going to read the website. So I, I think you, it, for somebody like me who, who sells information, I need to be able to put information in lots of different forms. And a book is obviously one of those popular forms. And so I started doing some research and seeing what was out there. There's obviously a lot of interview books out there already specific to medical school and one of the things that that you're taught when you're interested in writing a book is go to Amazon and go and look at the three-star reviews and see what people are are complaining about so the three-star ones are, are typically the most honest ones and most of the complaints for all the books were that the books were basically just a list of questions possible interview questions, which you can go and find anywhere. And so I had been doing mock interviews for a while. And I said, you know what, what, what people want, they wanted like concrete examples of people answering questions and feedback right. on that. I was like, well, I already have that. I've been doing mock interviews. And so I, I spent a lot of money having my interviews transcribed obviously after getting permission from the students to use them. And I, I, I put that into a book with an opening, uh, opening section talking all about the interview process and how to succeed and, and what to avoid. And I do have a list of questions in there as well because it's an interview book. You need to be prepared for questions. And then I have the third section is all um, questions that... Uh, I have answers from students and then the feedback that I give them. And I think that's the most valuable aspect of it. And then it How long did it take you to write that? Um, many, many months. I, I probably started writing it in mm, probably October, November of 2015. And I published it in August of 2016. So it took a long time to, to okay. actually get it all together. And I, I wasn't working on it all the time in that period, but I, I, I worked on it here and there. Now we, I, I mean, I always hear horror stories about trying to find a publisher, getting published. This is, you actually have a publisher who's backing you on this, right? This is not a self-published book. It's self-published right now, uh, but I okay. do have a publisher and it came from a relationship. And I, I think I'm a firm believer in your network and who you know. And I had a friend come into town that I had met through other podcasters, other friends, and I, I, we met at a at a podcasting conference in person after knowing each other online for a while, and he 
he came into town for a conference and I, I picked him up and we went to to a, a meetup that was going on and we talked and I told him everything I was doing. He's like, I do a podcast for a book publisher. I think you you might be a good fit for them. And so he put me in contact with a... Uh, Cha-ching! Yeah, with a... Uh, <laughs> an acquisition editor and I, I talked to her for a couple hours and sent her my manuscript and she's like, we want you. I was like, okay, here you go. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think a be, having a publisher is, is necessary these days, but you know, people are self publishing like crazy yeah, right now. Yeah. And, and honestly, I would probably make more money self publishing, but the, the option of getting into bookstores for me, for my audience, I thought was necessary. Um, and, and just through my thought processes, I was like, you know what? My audience is college students. That's, that's who my, my main audience is. And they go to bookstores to buy their, their textbooks and other books. So why not put one more book there for them to look at if they're, they're browsing around their college bookstore and go, hey, I think I might be interested in medical school or hey, I'm interested in medical school. My interview's coming up. So the this book is the first in a series. The pre-med playbook is the series name. And so I'll have this one's guide to the medical school interview. I'll have guide to the personal statement. I'll have the pre-med playbook guide for the pre-med mom. I, I, I kind of see it as a chicken soup for the soul kind of series. Now you, you got a lot of opportunities available to you. You you know obviously you're in the limelight. You're a great podcaster, you're author. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of opportunities thrown at you sometimes at the same time. Had you had you or have you had to learn um, the ability, the power in saying no? Or do you pretty much never turn down an opportunity because, you know, basically a FOMO, fear of missing out? Uh, FOMO's huge. I st- I'm suffering from FOMO yeah. right now. If, saying no is one of the hardest skills to learn, and and I still struggle with it now. Like I, I got an uh, an email late last night from somebody who wants to squeeze in two mock interviews with me in the next like two weeks, and my schedule is thankfully pretty full. But I have days that I have blocked off to work on other things where I'm like, you know what, I could I could interview, I could do one interview on one of those days. It's not going to hurt me, um, and. Do I do it? Do I not? I, I have. I actually haven't responded back to this person yet. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's hard. My it, it's it's hard for two reasons. Obviously, monetarily, uh, I'd be turning down money. Um, but I also want to help these people. They're reaching out to me for help, and it's kind of the physician in me, right? It's like, oh, I, I'm here to help people, and and if I can take an hour away from working on other things and help a student prepare for their dream interview, then, then why not do that? Appreciate that. Love it, man. Now, let's, let's do some quick, fast questions because we're getting towards the end of the interview. You game? I'm game. All right, let's do this. So what's one thing you want listeners to learn from this podcast? Uh, that there is no one right route. Uh, if, if you're going down the path uh, as a pre-med, as a medical student, and, and you're questioning your decision, it's okay to, to step back and, and rethink your process. Uh, if you're working as a physician right now and you're feeling burnt out, there are so many things that you can do as a physician outside of clinical practice that it's okay to, to take a step back and, and think differently. That's what I'm talking about. Listen to my podcast, guys. Continue. Listen to Ryan's podcast. I mean, there's so many different 
examples of living outside the box. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, what's your best productivity life hack? Get your calendar under control. Get your your to-do list under control. I still struggle with this day in and day out of of utilizing my to-do list to the best of my ability. And are you like a electronic to-do list guy? Yeah, or are you like pen and paper. I've tried them all, and I I fail at all of them. It's just a matter of actually sticking with one and and working it. Um, I've actually hired a productivity coach before. Are you serious? Yeah, I. I Really, I, I t- I'm telling you, coaches are where it's at. Um, so if if you're struggling in one aspect of your life, I'm sure there's a coach for that. Um, and so yeah, so it's it's really just a matter of of getting your priorities under control. And and th- that word priorities, it's interesting if you look at the the uh, the origin of priorities that that didn't come into our our vernacular until. Couple decades ago, it, it has it it has always been and should be a singular term. What is your priority? But mm. anyway, um, so yeah, so I think that's it. Uh, get get your to do list under control. So knowing what you know now, right? You've gotten a chance to go back in time. I don't know. There's, I was watching Back to the Future yesterday, anyway. But yeah, you get into DeLorean, you go back and you see young pre med version or even a med student med student version of Ryan Gray. What's the best piece of advice you're gonna you're going to give him? Oh, med student Ryan Gray. So, so I think this will be different because it's not really an entrepreneurial thing. Uh, in, in medical school, here, here's my, my entrepreneurial kind of uh, tendencies. In medical school, I, I think I spent more time computer programming than studying for, <laughs> for tests. Um, I, I was a huge programming nerd and I actually wrote software and sold it to a company my internship year. Really? Yeah, and... I think I I was miserable during medical school, at least the first two years. Why? Tell us why. I so I, I had taken three years off of school, and so I forgot how to be a student. But then I I came in very close minded, and we're studying biochemistry, and I'm like, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Why the hell do I need to know biochemistry? And uh, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. Why the hell do I need to know histology? I want to be an orthopedic like. Anatomy, I crushed. I loved anatomy. But everything else, I'm like, why do I need to learn this? <laughs> I just, I want to be an orthopod. I was the typical, like, like caveman orthopod. Like, just give me bone, let me fix. <laughs> um, so blood, the blood vessels are just for carrying <laughs> antibiotics to the bone. Exactly. And blood to the bone. And, and I feel nutrients, you. I yeah. Feel you. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's all it's there for. Um, and so I, I, I think... Knowing what I know now, I would I would be more open minded and and realize that everything is there for a reason and and to just go with it and um yeah. I love that answer, man. That's good. Is there anybody online, anybody on TV, anybody on social media, just anybody in general that you admire? Oh, that I admire. Um my wife, is that a good answer? She That's uh, a good answer. She's working full time, uh, bringing home the bacon. I, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without having her support. Um, we have a, a special needs daughter, and so that that adds a whole never a whole nether level of stress to our life. That and she's a rock star with what she does. So that's who I admire. Love the answer. Now the last uh, question slash statement that I want to present to you is something that I present to all of my guests. It's a um, it's a sentence. It started off as a hashtag. 
Um, it's it's I'm not just a doc. I'm a and you can use whatever adjective, whatever you want to use, one word, two words. I've had some people slash all the way through it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to present to you Ryan Gray. I'm Ryan Gray. I'm not just a doc. I'm a... I'm a thinker. I'm a doer. I'm a creator. That's what I'm talking about. I like that. Love it. Love it. Hey, Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about or a little bit more about Med School Headquarters? This is your opportunity to advertise and let us know all about your shows, um, about your book, or anything that we didn't get a chance to cover on the show. So the tagline that I use with the medical school headquarters and in my, my pre-mid years podcast is collaboration, not competition. My goal is to show people that if they want to be a physician, they can. It might not be as easy or as fast as they want to be, uh, but there is a way to get to medical school if, if you want to work at it and collaborate with your fellow classmates and and fellow students and the the goal really is to to start that collaboration as a pre-med because it it doesn't exist now i'm slowly hopefully chipping away at that but students need to start building those skills now because as medical students you'll need them and as physicians you you definitely need them and i think building those skills now my goal it wasn't my goal to to begin with, but as I've seen what I've done grow and, and the impact that it's had, I, I believe that what I'm doing, the students that listen to me on a weekly basis on my podcast, they will be physicians and be less burnt out and be happier and be uh, better colleagues and better physicians for their patients. So that's what I'm doing at the pre-med years, just one week at a time helping students understand what it's like to get into medical school, telling stories of, of non-traditional students who have struggled on their journeys to medical school. And yeah, I have uh, the three podcasts, like you said, and I have a couple more in the works. Ryan, I just want to take a quick opportunity to acknowledge you for what you're doing. What you're doing is amazing. You are having such a huge impact, um, not just on the physicians or at least on the pre-meds who want to become physicians, but literally you are affecting the physician population for years to come. So I think you need to be acknowledged and applauded for that. But I also want to acknowledge you for thinking outside the box and using positivity and, as you say on your website, collaboration to encourage people to become physicians. So I just want to say thank you for what you do. I acknowledge you for what you do. And I can't wait to see what you're going to do over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Keep up the great work, man. Thanks, me. Thanks for being on the show. Yep. And that's a wrap. Episode 14 is officially done. I actually had a lot of fun talking and interviewing a fellow podcaster, obviously someone who has a lot more experience than me, um, but I actually had a lot of fun. So you know what? I'm actually looking forward to your comments on this one. I always ask this, but if you are truly finding value in this show, please, please take 30 seconds, maybe even a little bit longer, <laughs> take about 45 seconds to go to either iTunes Google Play or Stitcher Radio. The links are below in the show notes on my website. But please go to any of those three podcast uh, warehouses and leave a rating and a comment about this show. It really, truly helps the show to grow. And as always, you know what time it is. Remember to live outside the box.